This week we discuss the magic of infused joints, the wonders of dry farming, and how cannabis and wine are more similar than you think. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. My name is Scott Sundvor. Uh, I am actually originally from Norway. And currently, I live in Hawaii and split my time between Hawaii and California. And I am the founder of a large infused joint company in California. Ambienty goodness for you all for these late summer days. That was Devnik with a little jam titled Waiting for the Meteor, which just happened to be the set and setting where this week's guest became inspired to found his infused joint company. Scott Sunvor and Libby Cooper are the co-founders of Space Coyote, which is a company that focuses on combining two segregated cannabis market segments, namely flour and extracts. Prior to founding Space Coyote, you had very little overlap between pre-roll consumers and concentrate consumers, and after years of making their own home version of a Space Coyote, which is what their joints are called, they decided to bring them to the market. Collaborations is the name of their game, as they work with established extract brands while supporting small family farms growing highly potent and highest quality cannabis. In addition to collaborating with farmers, they also have collabs with various up-and-coming mixed-media artists through sponsorship and commissioned pieces, prioritizing the work of women and people of color. And what would an environmentally conscious company be without the ethos of sustainability, focusing on sun-grown and regeneratively grown ganja, as well as low-impact packaging, something the cannabis industry truly needs to reflect and act upon if it wants to take climate change seriously. Scott joined me via Skype from his home in Hawaii, where we talked some shop. Now, he mentioned that he's originally from Norway, but something tells me his adventures in cannabis didn't begin there. It did not happen in Norway, no. I moved from Norway when I was seven, so I was not exposed to cannabis there. Um, I actually got uh, in contact with it first when I was living in Florida. So I moved from, from Norway to Florida when I was a kid and lived there until I went to, to college and um, was exposed to it through some friends and just immediately fell in love with it from a social just perspective and just recreational and really loved connecting with my friends through it and connecting with nature, going out 
playing in the ocean or walking around the mangroves at night. And it just had a really deep connection that way. Um, but it wasn't until I went to university where I really connected with it. Um, so when I went to, to college, um, I had Crohn's disease, um, which is an autoimmune gastrointestinal uh, disease. And that really flared up. Um, I attended MIT, so it was high stress, high pressure. And um, I think all of that, as well as, you know, probably all the pizza and beer that I was consuming uh, didn't didn't do very well for me. Um, but at one point, a friend of mine made some pot brownies um, that I ate and immediately it put me into remission from the Crohn's. And I didn't really realize what it was at first, but I had it a few times in a row and it was just life changing for me at that point. So I really was introduced to it very much from a recreational perspective and just enjoyed socializing with it. But when I realized how big of an impact it had on me medicinally also, then I just became such a big believer. And, you know, it helped uh, justify my recreational habit also. <laughs> and I definitely noticed a, an impact from smoking also. It helps, I think, just kind of calm my system in general. But it's really having, yeah, high-dose edibles, RSO, that type of thing, that I think just getting the cannabinoids directly into those uh, receptors in the gut just really helps reduce the inflammation for at least for me, and like you said, I've heard a lot of other people with Crohn's or IBD or IBS that also have a similar experience. Much like most Americans who enjoy cannabis, college is where Scott really connected with the plant. College also happens to be the place where most students connect with drugs in general upon leaving home, but of course cannabis is the most popular choice. So Scott admits it was the social element that attracted him to the plant, but the kicker was, of course, the medicinal benefits of edibles, which is a type of concentrate. Now, when you suffer from a debilitating disease such as Crohn's, you become very grateful for anything that helps ease your pain and suffering, and if that thing can make your disease go away completely, or at least bring you to a functioning level, then it's no surprise you would want to share this with others going through a similar experience. Now, Space Coyote is all about fortified joints, so the effect is different from consuming edibles, but it can be just as magical in the right combination. Speaking of combination, I was curious as to what led Scott to combine high-quality and high-potency flour with extracts. Yeah, so this was something that um, really started when, when extracts first came on the market and concentrates started coming out. Then I got a hold of some, but I didn't have a dab rig, and... Honestly, it was just kind of intimidating. I didn't want to have a, a torch and a rig and all of that. It just seemed a little extreme, especially for me. I, I mean, my entire life up until that point, I just always rolled joints or rolled blunts. And I didn't even really like using a bong that much or a pipe. And so when I got a hand on some concentrates, I remember the, the first thing that I did it with was uh, some hatch um, and just put it, layered it into a joint. And um, the first it might not have been the first time I did it, but the first experience that really stands out in my mind was um, we were at a friend's property who actually now this friend, um, we hired her to be our director of marketing. And her family has a property up in Northern California that's just beautiful out in the in the wilderness and it has a little pond. And we got some high CBD flour and combined some uh, a really nice sativa hash into it. And I just remember having just such an incredible experience of having that blend of the herb and the, the concentrate and just having such an amazing, smooth experience. And um, just from that point, I realized, hey, you know, you don't you don't need to use a dab rig. You don't need to use whether it's a puffco or a rig or whatever, like you can combine it with what you're already smoking. And it really just adds in 
so much of those terpenes and cannabinoids that um, you can lose a lot of that during the drying and the curing process. So um, it was really an eye-opening moment for us that um, just it felt like the right thing to be doing. That was one of the first ones that we did. And of course, I mean, I, I mix all, all sorts of things um, together, but that was one that just really stood out in my mind. I think also because of, you know, set and setting, we were in in nature, um, just like beautiful day. It was warm. We were floating around in a little lake there. And I just remember how incredible that experience was and how that wasn't really something that I'd ever felt with um, with just normal thought. Or maybe I'd felt it, but it wasn't that frequent. And this was just a consistent experience that we could replicate. I was going to say that the first time I tried hash was actually, um, I had a, an internship in in Italy um, when I was in college and we got a hold of some hash there. And then I remember going to Copenhagen and um, I don't know if you've, you've been to Christiania in Copenhagen, but I remember walking down the streets there and just being just amazed with these massive blocks of hash that were everywhere. And um, there, of course, as you said, the rage was mixing your hash with tobacco, which I never really liked. I did it because it was the only thing available. But now, I mean, just like you said, like you can, I mean, in the States, I know in a lot of places in Europe, you can j just go into any random store or smoke shop and you can buy some CBD flour. So if you have some good hash and mix it with that, like hemp CBD flour, it's, yeah, it's an incredible experience. It's much, also much better than mixing it with tobacco. Dab rigs, while looking pretty cool to seasoned veterans, can look quite intimidating and unappealing to the uninitiated. To a lot of people who grew up smoking joints or bongs, it can come across as a little crack pipey. And videos of people taking massive hits of concentrate slabs doesn't really help the perception and can have a negative effect as far as social acceptance is concerned. But by mixing some concentrate into a joint, you can have a very similar effect without worrying about looking like a crackhead. Now, Scott mentions his first fortified joint was with some high CBD flour, which, in my opinion, gets overlooked way too often and is actually quite underrated. On its own, it might not be that appealing for someone looking for a euphoric effect, but combined with other THC-containing material, be it flour or concentrates, the effects can be quite special. And it also makes for a wonderful tobacco replacement for those people avoiding nicotine. So we know a little about how Scott and Libby's fortified joints were born, but how do they come up with the idea for founding Space Coyote? So that's, it's sort of a, a two-part answer. So the I'll explain where the name came from first. So it was uh, about three years ago at this point. Um, it was uh, for my birthday. We gathered a group of about 25 of my friends, brought everyone down to Joshua Tree um, in California and just out in, in the high desert there, um, just incredibly beautiful. Um, it happened to be that my birthday corresponded with a new moon and a meteor shower. And so we all were just trekking around outside outside um there might have been some mushroom tea involved and we uh just i remember just laying on top of these boulders looking at the sky and just seeing meteors just flying through and just feeling so connected with with outer space and with nature and then we hear all these coyotes start yipping and we just felt like we were space coyotes and um so we had that name the name had come it stuck we knew it was amazing and it was just such an incredible weekend and experience and um, at the time, I had I had left the company that I had previously founded um, for for health reasons. So I was taking some time off and um, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, Libby uh, had been working at Ease, which was a, a very large um, California delivery company at the time, and we knew that we wanted to do something together in the cannabis space. And so 
as we started thinking about what we wanted to do, we knew we had the name. We, the name had to be Space Coyote. It just made sense. And, um, and so we were able to look at just her past experience of looking in the industry, seeing what sold well. Uh, we did a lot of market research. And really, when it came down to it, we realized that the products that we really loved, which were rolling these joints, putting our own concentrates in them, that was a really big unmet market need. And um, one of the big things in the cannabis industry, um, still today, not as much, but definitely back when we started the company, was that it was really difficult to get a high quality pre-roll. Um, even today, there's very few pre-rolls that are high quality. A lot of them use lower grade flour. Um, some of them still use shaker trim. And a lot of them just dry out and they don't taste good and they're not potent and it's just not a good experience. And so um, we really believe that, you know, the future of cannabis is going to be a lot more of this uh, convenience based and people want pre-rolls. I know a lot of people that don't even know how to roll their own joint. And so we wanted to make joints that didn't suck. Um, that was one of the big things that we talked about. We just wanted to make joints that don't suck. We want to make something really high quality. And infusing um, really great flour, high potency flour with extracts was a beautiful way to do that. And um, the market demand has has really spoken for itself and, and we're seeing incredible traction with it. Inspired by space and perhaps a bit of psilocybin, the two had a very catchy name and their desire to meet a market need, specifically joints that don't leave you disappointed, gave them a solid reason to found the company. With extracts such as sauce, live resin, wax, rosin, and so on emerging out of the quasi-legal market in California and Colorado a few years ago, you now had a high-quality product, but for a rather small customer base. As mentioned earlier, the method of consuming these products can seem quite foreign to people who prefer traditional methods, so was the idea of combining flour with concentrates an attempt to bridge the gap between traditionalists and those willing to experiment with new forms of cannabis? Definitely. That was one of the big things that we wanted to do when we started it, because we did see this big gap in the market between people that buy dabs um, or concentrates are, are very infrequently buying uh, pre-rolls. They might buy flour, but they're really one market segment. Then you have those traditional flour consumers. And we really just saw this opportunity to introduce both sides to the other. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I mean, concentrates are, they're, they're viewed as extreme, they're viewed as aggressive. Like traditionally, you had to have literally a blowtorch to light up a dab rig. Now, of course, you have things like a Puffco or a G-Pen where um, it is, I think, a little more um, just accessible. Uh, but the thing with concentrates that I really love is it's just a really beautiful expression of the plant. Um, when I smoke concentrates, uh, to me, it feels like this really clean, pure high. Um, and blending those concentrates into joints specifically just gives a really great smooth uh, flavor um, that you don't necessarily get otherwise. And so for us, it's been an incredible way just to you know bridge that gap. Um, we love doing collaborations with extract brands so that our customers can see like, oh, look, this, this joint is infused with field extracts or utopia extracts or nasha hash, and then that can introduce them to this other side of the aisle. Um, and it's been it's been really cool to see because we are getting some of that overlap there. Um, and uh, to me, it's just like anything is worth trying. It's worth experiencing. It's worth testing out. Um, I've definitely seen that pretty much every um, heavy consumer that I know has their like go to way of smoking, whether it's some people love their bong. I personally love joints. Um, other people love their dabs. And um, I think most people are probably going to stick to, you know, their their comfortable space, even though like I have a, a fridge full of concentrates, but I'm still rolling myself joints most days. Like I'll go take a dab maybe once or twice a week, but 
Um, I still love rolling joints. A lot of times I throw concentrates in there because I like that, but um, we're not really expecting to like completely change other people's habits, but just exposing them to something new, giving them something new to try. And, you know, for some people it has totally opened up uh, another world. Uh, so that's been a really fun thing to just to be able to facilitate through the products that we create. I really love rosin. Uh, that to me is just, it's a so tasty, so incredible. Um, I do like uh, live resin a lot also. Um, there's also one uh, company that we collaborate with, Chemistry, that actually does, instead of a live resin where it's fresh frozen, they do a cured resin, um, which just gives a different terpene profile um, and is also really incredible. But, you know, honestly, I, I, I like so many different kinds. To me, it, it really depends on the use that I have. Um, if I'm taking a dab, I would say my, my go-to is definitely rosin. If I'm rolling a joint with something, then I'd probably lean more towards a hash to put in the joint. The great thing about concentrates, particularly solventless ones, is you're getting rid of any excess plant material that won't get you high anyway. So you're left with nothing but the best of ingredients, namely cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids. So it's a very authentic expression of the plant. Now, with such a focus on quality products at Space Coyote, I couldn't help but ask how they go about selecting the cannabis varieties for their infused joints. Yeah, with great care. <laughs> um, so we... To us, that is one of the most important things of the products that we make. So we right now have um, only sativa and indica skews. Um, so, of course, those terms right now don't really mean the same thing that they used to. But it is um, they're terms that customers understand. They know that sativas are supposed to be energetic, uplifting, more conversational. Indicas are more relaxing, maybe anxiety relieving, can you know, just help you sink into the couch and unwind after the end of a long day. Um, and so the way that we do our pairings right now is that we really specifically want to make sure that our customers get the experience and the flavor that they're expecting out of that. So um, we always make sure that however we combine the flour and the extract will give an experience on either end of that spectrum. Um, we do plan to introduce some hybrids uh, in the future. We have seen some demand for that. Um, so we will do that eventually. But for us, it's just really important that one, I mean, of course, like I, I didn't even talk about the quality and the flavor and, and the potency. Those things are just givens for us. Like those have to meet a certain bar. But then from there, we want to make sure that our customers know exactly what to expect and get what they're expecting every time. So having that product consistency and just um, effect consistency. As Scott points out, the terms indica and sativa aren't the best indicators for the type of smoking experience one will get from a given plant. As mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast, the focus is going to be more on the cannabinoid and terpene profiles to better predict a given cultivar's effect. At the moment, these are the terms used most frequently, and most people have a general understanding of the effects of sativa versus indica. But with so many strains being hybrids already, those distinctions often get blurred. Once a new nomenclature system is established, and from the looks of it, this is already in the works, people will have to find new ways of describing the effects of a given cultivar, which is what this is all about. So where does Space Coyote source its material? We work with cultivators throughout the entire state. Um, a lot of it comes from Northern California. There's a lot of incredible flower that comes there. Um, we do work with some in the Santa Barbara area, some in Santa Cruz and Sacramento also. Um, so for us, it really is just a matter of do they meet the quality standards that we have? Do they meet the potency that we have? Um, the environmental impact is also really big for us. So very little of the flower that we source is indoor grown. Um, we try to do mostly sun grown or greenhouse. Um, that's actually another thing that 
there is a bit of a stigma against in the industry is that um, indoor is perceived as high quality, whereas sun-grown is perceived as low quality, um, which is really just remnant leftover from the black market days. But I mean, I think about it kind of like vegetables. Like, would you rather have vegetables that were grown like in soil in the beautiful sunlight, getting that natural exposure or something that was grown grown hydroponically inside under LEDs? Like you're going to get just a different neutral nutrient profile, um, whether you're using like real soil or chemical fertilizers. Um, and honestly, you can feel that effect too um, in the flower that you grow. A lot of times, um, if I smoke indoor flower that was grown with more synthetic fertilizers and that type of thing, it just, it creates a more racy effect. Like maybe the the nug structure looks really beautiful and it has a lot of bag appeal and an eighth. Um, but I really prefer the effect that you get from some really good greenhouse or sun-grown flower. You get a more comprehensive terpene profile. Um, and to me, that's just like, let's do things naturally, like as much as possible. Let's let's eat things or smoke things that were grown in soil under the sun. Like, let's live as naturally as possible. I mean, I even like in my food, I try not to eat processed food or things with chemicals in it. And um, that is really how we believe that that cannabis should be consumed, too. Once you've tried cannabis that's been grown under the sun, you will notice a difference between indoor grown and outdoor grown, and there's a good chance you might not even want to go back to the stuff grown under lamps. So we have for the most part sun-grown, sustainable organic flour, and top quality concentrates. How does Space Coyote actually pair the two to make their various delectable doobies? Yeah, that's one of the most fun parts of the whole process is that we get to we get to combine things and try them and see how it is. Um, so a lot of it ends up being uh, affected by the terpenes or the flavor that you're getting out of it. And so um, we try to mix flour and extracts that will the flavors will just be combined well. I mean, you can think about it like you're cooking a delicious dinner. Um, you're not going to throw in two ingredients that clash. Um, so we think about it the same way with the, the concentrates in the flour. Um, but really, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, taking the concentrate in the flour and smelling it together or smoking it together. Um, we now also just through experience have gotten a really good sense of what will pair together, pair well together. So we can identify um, specific things that we're looking for. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's really fun just being able to combine those things and see the flavor that you get out of it. And then also, of course, as I said, the effect for us is so important, making sure that um, we get that exact feeling from uh, the experience that we're looking for. So a good amount of experimenting on themselves. Not the worst job in the world to have. Every company should be doing some R&D to continuously put out a solid product, and what better way to test a pairing for potential customers than being your very own guinea pig? Win-win. Now, if various types of cannabis products can be paired with each other, what's to stop people from pairing cannabis with things like food and beverages, in a similar way to wine, for example? Is cannabis going to be featured on menus and paired with various meals, much like fermented grape juice? I think it will. I think it's going to take some time. Um, right now, what I see dominating the industry is a lot more of this like low cost, low quality, just like get cheap weed out there. Um, but there have been uh, some people and some companies that are doing some just really incredible pairings. Um, there's uh, some infused dinners that we've gone to. Um, there's a series called the Heightened Series that um, actually... Uh, Baron from Nasha helped put on um, with, uh, I, I believe his name was Michael. He was a former Michelin star chef. And they would pair just these incredible like eight to 10 course meals um, with hash with every course and had different hash 
with each course, depending on the flavor. Um, and so I've seen some things like that. Also, uh, ones where the actual food was infused with different cannabinoids or, uh, different strains. And um, I'm just really excited to see more things like that come out because that to me is like where you can just really get into it and really experience the depth of the variety. And um, that to me was also just so eye-opening and enlightening because with this, like whatever, we had eight course meal and eight different types of hash. I saw how different each of them were and how, how different the pairings were and how well they complemented each other. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what the future holds. I think that right now, a lot of it is going to be continued uh, to be dominated by um, companies that are just kind of racing to the bottom and not really caring about quality, which um, to me is just a huge bummer. Like, let's respect the plant more than that. Um, but, you know, there's a market for Bud Light. There will always be a market for Bud Light. Um, there is also now a great market for craft beer and high end beer. Um, and so I think that the cannabis industry is going to be similar that, you know, There'll always be people that just want their cheap weed that's low quality, but uh, with a plant like this that has been around for so long and people have been growing and just loving and nurturing for so long, um, I really do hope and feel that uh, we're going to have some really incredible um, high quality uh, just strains and cultivation and pairings and experiences that, that come out in the future. At some point, it's likely that people will be making trips to the Emerald Triangle for some cannabis-infused food and drink instead of Napa Valley for wine tasting. The similarities between cannabis and wine, however, are becoming more and more apparent, and not just in how they can be paired with food. Cannabis farmers are also starting to get into the Appalachian game, and concepts such as terroir and terpenes are also shared by both industries. Another term on the Space Coyote website that caught my eye in particular was the single estate joint, which sounds like a term a vintner would use. Scott explains what this means in the context of Space Coyote. Yeah, so that was a one-off collaboration that we did that was uh, really beautiful. So basically what that meant is that everything in the joint came from one estate, from one, one cultivator. And so we had a flower that we got from this incredible cultivator up in on Humboldt. Um, she actually does only dry farming, which means that um, from the time that her seedlings are, pr are planted, she doesn't water them at all. Um, they just create these deep tap roots and they they tap into the underlying watershed. So it's close to a, a river in Humboldt. It's not everywhere that you can do this, but in the places that you can, it just it stresses the plant in a way. It's similar to wine where the the right type of stress produces the best fruit. Um, and so doing this dry farming technique just produces such incredible flower. Um, and, um, one of the hash producers that we really love to work with, um, Nasha extracts is also up in Humboldt and works closely with the same cultivator. So we were able to source our flower from that cultivator, um, and have hash produced from the exact same farm grown right next to each other and combine that into one joint where all of it came from the single estate. And, um, it was a really fun project where um, it was just a one-off run, one collaboration, and that was done. Um, but it just produced uh, a really beautiful joint. And it's something that we definitely want to do more of in the future where um, we can do collaborations like that, where all of it comes from one estate. Sounds quite unique and exclusive, like some special reserve wine. The similarities keep growing. Scott also mentions the technique of dry farming, which to many people, myself included at one point, seems counterintuitive, especially when you realize how much water thirsty cannabis plants can go through. 
Now, Scott goes into the details of this a little further. So it's it's really close to a river so that the water table under the ground is, um, it starts out basically at the time of year that they plant, the water level is higher in the river. And then over time, it sort of goes down, but it gives the, the plant the opportunity to grow these tap roots. And so the plants um, with dry farming, they have a much deeper root structure than your traditional cannabis plant does because it's going down it's hunting for the water and as the water level decreases that root goes deeper and deeper and so it keeps having access um to that water table there so it's only possible in specific places where it's either close to a river or um has a water table that's in in the right level um but it's i know that um tomatoes can be dry farmed also um, and if you ever have a chance to get dry farm tomatoes, the flavor is just incredible. They're so juicy and just so sweet. Um, and it does the same thing to cannabis. It just creates just an overwhelming amount of terpenes. And um, generally, you get a really high cannabinoid content uh, also from, from dry farming. As Scott mentions, this technique is limited to places that have just the right geographic location and conditions. But if you can try anything that's been dry farmed, chances are you won't believe your taste buds. So we mentioned earlier how Space Coyote collaborates with these unique farms and cultivators, but they also have an affinity for art and local artists. Their website even has a whole section dedicated to this very kind of collaboration. Scott gives the rundown on how this idea came about. Yeah, so that was something that um, early on we really wanted to combine canvas and art, whether it was mixed media or visual art or music. Uh, to us, that's just something that, you know, it it is a beautiful combination. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but most of the time if I'm smoking weed, it's much better if I'm listening to music or drawing or painting or anything like that. And so when we started this company, um, one of the things for Libby and I was that we wanted to form a company that uh, just really embodied our values, embodied our culture. And so that, I mean, part of that is the work-life balance that we give our employees, flexibility, a focus on health, but also part of it was this focus on art. And a lot of this came from Libby because she is such an incredible creative and she does really value art so much. And her goal, her entire life has been able to um, have a full-time job as an artist. And now she feels like she has accomplished that because she's able to create art through the products that we make, through the packaging that we make, through these collaborations. And so uh, the collaborations that we do is um, it's really just us um, either commissioning pieces with artists or now we also have um a collaboration coming out that is actually with a with a band um with our our joints so the the band poolside um is doing a collaboration with us on a five pack of passion fused joints so they specifically wanted some joints that would embody this daytime disco vibe that that they really um just love and uh, something that would be amazing to be experienced um, if you're by a pool, like out in a hot summer day. Um, and so we're crafting the exact strain pairings to give that feeling. Um, and with the other artists that we've worked with, we we have some incredible commission pieces that um, for us, it's a way to support up and coming artists um, and to show people that, you know what, you can do art as a career and we're going to help you get there. We're going to help promote you. We're actually going to pay you for your work because you deserve that. As an artist, you shouldn't be expected just to create work for free. Um, back in the time when we could actually have events, um, then every event that we put on um, had art combined with it, typically music. So we would pair our sativa joints with um, with a show or an act that was really uplifting and energizing. And then we'd pair indica joints to something that was deeper and 
just more like soul searching and would really just like get you into the music. And I mean, those events were, they honestly, they became extremely psychedelic and it was just so cool. One of the things that we talk about also is that we want to make weed psychedelic again, or really just show that psychedelic side of weed. And one of the best ways to do that is combining it with art. Um, so that's something that we just really believe in. Uh, we feel strongly about, and um, we're going to keep doing as much of as we can. A very noble concept. Artists work too, and they also have bills to pay. So they need our support, especially in these tough times. And if you don't think artists are all that important in society, try to imagine living in a place with no music, no dance, no photography, no graphic design, no expression of emotion or thought. Just boring robotic behavior on repeat. Well, with all the success that Space Coyote seems to be enjoying these days, I couldn't help but wonder whether Scott still has to deal with cannabis stigma, especially in a place like California, where cannabis is being very openly embraced, at least for the most part. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, definitely not as much. It has cleared up a lot, but there's still a strong stigma against it. And um, I mean, especially growing up, I remember I, I wasn't ever really open with my family about smoking weed until really I started this company. And um, it there just is this stigma against like the lazy stoner. Oh, that that weed is a gateway drug, like all these things that really are just remnant from the war on drugs. And um, most of it is not true. Um, like, of course, I'm not going to deny that if I smoke some weed, I'm, I'm less productive than if I'm not high. Um, but it's like I am I'm not smoking weed in the middle of the workday. I never smoked weed before going to class in college. I know some people do that. And um, there's also been times when like, if I've had a really bad gut or bad stomach, um, I would smoke some weed before doing work and, and it would help. It would actually alleviate that issue enough that I was then able to focus on my work. So I think there's still a stigma. I mean, I still have people say things about that weed causes a lack of motivation. And I mean, you very much see the stigma on a federal level, like there's still not a strong push to legalize on a federal level. We can't even get safe banking in the industry yet. So there is a lot that we're still fighting against. Um, but the way that I look at it is that the fact is we still live in a society where alcohol and tobacco are accepted. And I mean, even just like junk food and fast food and that type of thing. And all those things are so much worse for us than cannabis is. Cannabis actually has medicinal impact. Tobacco, alcohol, fast food, none of that has any positive impact in your life. And yet those things are okay. So um, we still definitely have a ways to go. Um, as I said, a lot of this is just a remnant from the war on drugs, um, false propaganda that was put out there. Um, that really is not true. And thankfully, we're seeing a lot of that changing. Um, a lot is coming from adv advocacy groups and lobbying groups that are doing a really great job of um, talking about this and, and being open about it and just sharing um, real information and real science rather than what has been out there in the past. So um, I'm hopeful that a lot of change is going to keep happening. We're already seeing that uh, the majority of Americans support legalization and um, support access to the plant. So uh, I think it will only keep increasing and um, hopefully we'll see some, some fairly major change on a federal level. Um, if not in the next four years, then um, with uh, the next presidency after that. Even in super progressive California, the stigma can still remain. It won't go away overnight, but thanks to people like Scott and Libby and countless others who are fighting the good fight, cannabis is well on its way to shedding the unjust and false stigma that surrounded it for so long. So any advice for anyone interested in becoming a ganjapreneur in the vein of Space Coyote? 
part of my advice would definitely be to um, really understand the market and what you want to build and why you want to build it before doing that. Um, I think market research and um, even more so uh, customer research is so critical, really, no matter what industry you're in, but especially in cannabis. And um, that, for me, would be the first place to start for anyone. Just really understand the market, understand your pricing, understand the margins that you're going to have, um, especially today when there are so many companies that are trying to um, produce something at the lowest cost possible and get it out there as cheaply as possible. Um, as part of being a business owner is being responsible both to your employees and to your investors and making sure that, I mean, for me, one of the biggest things is that I now have, I have multiple employees whose livelihood is dependent on the decisions that I make every day and um, their families and their dependents. And um, that is something that you have to take seriously. And with that, you have to figure out from the start how you're going to run a profitable business, how you're going to be successful, how you're going to pay back your shareholders eventually. And the first step in that is just understanding the market and understanding um, what you want to build and how much it's going to cost. So um, I would tell anyone that before they ever invest a dollar into it, before they start building anything, do all that research, spend however long it takes, whether it's a month or six months, but do that groundwork. And if you do that, it's going to set you up for success so much better than um, if you just jumped into building what you want, because it's not you who's going to be buying your product. It's the millions of people in California. And if you built something just for yourself and everyone else doesn't want it, then, hey, you're shut out of luck. Remember to do your homework, kids. So where do we go if we want to get in touch with Space Coyote? So the best places would be Instagram. So they can find Space Coyote at Space Coyote on Instagram. Um, they can find me at Scott Sundvor. That's S-C-O-T-T-S-U-N-D-V-O-R. Um, they can also find Space Coyote on Facebook um, just by searching Space Coyote um, or Space Coyote Nation. There are some other Space Coyote pages on there. So make sure that you find uh, the right one. Um, and then they can also find Libby on Instagram at Libby Cooper, uh, L-I-B-B-Y-C-O-O-P-E-R. Um, and we're always posting interesting things there. Um, our website, spacecoyote.org, um, has our product offerings. Um, we've also gotten some really great press recently. Um, so they can search, do a Google search for Space Coyote and Forbes. Um, and they can see a little more info about us and just the origin of the company. Um, but Instagram, I would say, is the best place to find us. And sadly, the time has come to say farewell to our guest. Scott Sunvor of Space Coyote. It was a blast talking to you. Uh, it's always fun to talk about joints and even more to think about uh, what level to take them next. So, uh, yeah, I think you guys have a bright future ahead of yourselves. Uh, keep the uh, Space Coyotes coming, and hopefully we'll get to spark one together one day. I hope so. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for uh, having me. This was a lot of fun. That was episode 49 of the Critical Grass podcast. One more to go before we hit the big 5-0. Huge thanks once again to Scott Sunvor for the lovely chat on infused joints and all its insights on the cannabis industry. There's a lot to look forward to in the near future. If you enjoy the podcast, feel free to share with any and all on the social intertubes. And if you'd like to support the show monetarily, that can be done by going to patreon.com slash criticalgrass or by donating via the PayPal button on our website, which is getting a little upgrade soon. We'll be back shortly with our final episode for the season, so stay tuned. My name, as usual, is Bogdan. Stay glazed and blazed, my friends. Ciao.